In this week's episode of the SpinCast podcast, we've got Michael Brashear on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about some philosophy topics. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, drink some Montucky cold snacks and deal with Sid's shenanigans again. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. Welcome, Michael. Uh, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Um, so uh, just say hello to everyone. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, so what's going on? What's go- Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Michael uh, Brashear. I'm 24. Um, we promised we wouldn't talk about work, but I'll bring it up only, <laughs> only in that that's how I, uh, I know you. Oh. Um, and yeah, it's just a, uh, it's a balmy Saturday night in Austin, Texas. It's definitely balmy. Um, drinking some Montuckies. Drinking some Montucky cold, cold snacks. snacks. I love that. I just realized that you grabbed a koozie for a pint glass. Uh, and you put the tall boy in it. Yeah, I uh, I made a tactical error, but I was too <laughs> embarrassed to. Uh, I like that you just it. lived with it, though. Yeah, you're just like ah, fuck it, it's neoprene. That's a very uh, that's a very me thing to do, uh, kind of to accept a lesser outcome, uh, to save face. Just to be like, yeah, I meant this. I meant yeah, it. no, this is two hundred percent what I meant. Yeah, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, uh, every time I have a tall boy, I put it in a pint glass koozie. I, I can time. see that that is that that's not a pine glass koozie. No, this isn't. That is. Yeah, no, I can see that that's not true though. Every time you have a tall boy, you put it in a pine glass. No, I'm koozie. saying that that's what you do. Oh that's, no, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. absolutely what I do. Yeah, it's the only that's way. why you've done it now. Exactly. It wasn't a mistake. <laughs> so see, my behavior is consistent with my ideology. Exactly. You're just so. like pine glass koozies are nothing. There you go. No, no. I mean, what? Why would I? Why would I do anything else? <laughs> this is ridiculous all right so uh all right so yes we know each other from work um which we won't say the name of uh (laughs) but uh i guess uh you said you had some stuff you might want to talk about you might want to uh yeah get into um via a couple conversations that i've been having with some friends over the past couple weeks and months, I've been thinking a lot about um, the election that we just had. And I, I promised you, um, so I'm going to hold my promise that I didn't want to get into the specifics of the election, but I really wanted Can to. Can we ask who you voted for? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess, assume not Trump, but I not could be Trump, totally Not wrong. Trump, but um, arguably just as bad, depending on who you talk to. So it's a longer answer than you expected, but I voted for Gary Johnson. Oh, um, all right. And I, uh, this was... Uh, uh, I decided to vote for him pre-Aleppo moment. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with so, this. Uh, I, get, uh, to, to be fair, I, I don't watch any TV or follow any politics because it's probably the most depressing thing in the world. Well, even if you did, this wasn't particularly notable because Gary, old, yeah. old Gary, as <laughs> I like to call him, wasn't particularly notable. But <laughs> long story short, he went on, I want to say it was MSNBC, and Gary was the Libertarian Party candidate for president, former governor of New Mexico, and um, kind of a, a stereotype that emerged about him during the course of the campaign was that he was um, a pothead because he really advertised his uh, medical marijuana use. Oh, he made no bones about it. And he could have gotten away with that if it were not for a key set of missteps in the public eye, uh, one All of right. which was this Aleppo moment. And uh, why is it called Aleppo? moment? So Aleppo is a, uh, a city in Syria 
Um, and it's kind of in no man's land, if you will, between okay. this ongoing conflict between ISIS and um, the Syrian rebels and then also the forces that are supporting Syrian president Bashar al-Assad. So it's kind of caught in the crossfire, if you will. Sure. So no one owns it. And the people who live in Aleppo have been stuck there. They're unable to leave because if they were to leave, they would almost assuredly um, be shot or kidnapped or have some really not great outcome. But at the same time, staying is terrible because the city is constantly being sieged by these three conflicting forces. So it's like a pretty huge humanitarian crisis. Um, Interesting. People are always talking, you know, what would you do about Aleppo? How do you negotiate with these, <laughs> these three sides to let these people out of there? Yeah. Um, and so, as, you know, as part of running for president, you get asked a lot about current events, you know, your foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. And so they asked Gary uh, Johnson, they said, what would you do about Aleppo? And they were uh, just, just to highlight kind of the, the dark humor of the moment, the host on CNN, I think it was, who was asking and was saying Aleppo in this very distinct way where he was enunciating it and he was going Aleppo. <laughs> and uh, so he said, what would you do about Aleppo? And Gary Johnson said, excuse me. And he said, Aleppo again, just like that <laughs> Aleppo. And then uh, Gary Johnson says, and what is Aleppo? <laughs> and that's what he sounded like. You can you can play the clip later, and um, I feel the, like I am going to splice it in here. I'm just going to yeah. It. And the uh, the guy kind of smugly was like Aleppo, which is how he says it is in Syria. It's the epicenter of the Syrian refugee crisis. And Gary Johnson was like, oh, and uh, so he didn't. <laughs> and so that <laughs> was that was the end of that. And that was the end of that. And so. Uh, he had a cool platform. I, I voted for him. And I will say with an asterisk on my vote, because I tell people this and they tend to get pretty upset with me that I voted for Gary Johnson in Texas, which um, I rightly assumed would go hard for Trump. Sure. If I had been in a more uh, battleground state in Ohio, a Florida, if you will, I would probably have gone for Hillary because I would have felt that my vote would have not would have been less symbolic and more impactful. Sure. Um, but as someone who feels strongly about third-party candidacies and uh, breaking down the two-party system, I went I went for Gary. But um, who was his running mate? Um, you know what? This I is, really hope it was Johnson and this Johnson. This is sad. I don't because I really want that to be like a presidential ticket it, at some point. It wasn't like, Johnson and Johnson. I actually forget his name. Which what does that say about me as far as being an informed voter? Fair enough. But um, this ties into the other Gary Johnson sort of gotcha moment. <laughs> um, He's got so many. You know, these, these, I mean, I've just only learned about them. These, uh, these are the two key ones. The other <laughs> one was he was, again, in an interview with his running mate, and sure. it was Chris Matthews um, from Hardball. And he said, uh, you know, Gary, uh, who is your favorite current world leader? Oh, I think I did hear about this And uh, Gary... And he couldn't name one. Gary, again, was uh, coming up with nothing, and he said, and he has a very distinctive voice, um, and he said, my favorite world leader... And that's what he sounds like. And he's like, uh, and Chris Matthews goes, yeah, just uh, like it could be anybody. Just it can Pope. be it can be anybody. Just name alive one. or dead. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gary Johnson was like, I uh, uh, President Fox in Mexico, and he's referring to Vicente Fox, who's the former president of Mexico, who's not in office anymore. And Chris Matthews was like, I'd, I'd really prefer if you named one that um, that's currently in office. And Gary Johnson's like, ah. Uh. And then his running mate is like elbowing him, being like Merkel. Merkel, like referring to Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Merkel. I like I like Merkel. Sure. And so it was uh, it was it was not very good optically for Gary. But um, no, what I've been talking about a lot with people um, 
post-election and not to get into the specifics of it is um, what was interesting to me was this kind of melding of the political space with sort of reality television and also like the public's willingness to accept a script over let's say objective reality and objective reality can be kind of um, an interesting term because some people would argue that there is no such thing. Sure. Um, but for the purposes of the podcast and not bogging the listeners down with um, a whole bunch of metaphysical BS, um, let's assume. I mean, we a, can bog them down with whatever. The let's fuck assume we want. that such a thing is uh, is real. I read a really interesting article that was arguing that Donald's um, success had come because he had correctly estimated the widening of the Overton window, and the Overton window is a pretty funky idea that this guy um, came up with, I want to say in the late nineties where the Overton window is the range of possibilities. The public will accept. Sure. And the example that was thrown out in the article was this guy who was running for the mayor of Baltimore in the late nineties said um, as a key part of his platform that he wanted to um, get rid of um, drug laws. He wanted to delist uh, marijuana and um, I want to say psychedelic uh, mushrooms from the class a drug list. I and like he, this guy. And he was, yeah, he was, he was doing really well in the polls until he said this. And then he tanked because the public was not ready to accept. And I think it was like 97, mm-hmm. the decriminalization of marijuana. That seemed, oh, that seemed crazy. Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. So yeah, it was outside the Overton window. It was not within the realm of acceptable opinions. Makes sense. And so what happened in the election that was fascinating to me was Trump would do all these things at a pretty, like a pretty not insignificant portion of the public would say that's crazy. Like we're going to build a wall or he made a couple inappropriate comments about genitals. A lot of things. Blah, 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 blah. And he make still makes a lot of, and a a pretty significant portion of the public was like, that's unacceptable. That's a disqualifier for me. I'm out. But an even more significant portion of the public, because he won said, you know what? No, like that's cool. So like he just pushed the boundaries of this of this window, or maybe not. He specifically did. He just recognized that the boundaries could be pushed. right. He recognized that he had a much larger area to work within from a PR standpoint than anyone else had realized. Now, do we believe? I guess this could go get really opinionated one way or another. Like, do, do we actually believe that he specifically knows this, or maybe that there's like some other like? You know, like in in my head, I feel like presidential candidates just like come out of thin air. Like they they come out of nowhere. Um, they like crawl I, out of a swamp someday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and you know this this could go really conspiracy theory here, but um, like I feel like it's less that you know someone is sitting around going like, okay, next year I'm going to be president. Uh, and, and, you know, this Overton window thing, I think I can really push some boundaries. Yeah. I think instead it's like someone else is like, okay, Overton window, super wide right now. Who could we get to push some boundaries? Like how, and then they go, let's start funneling money into Trump. Let's like seed this idea of like, you can be president and also here's a few billion dollars, uh, to do it. Um, like, I guess, I don't know what my question really was there, except that, uh, you know, like, do you think it was Trump himself or even like partially his team that was like, 
let's double down on your crazy because we can, or was it something, some entity elsewhere that was like, Trump can be a thing and we should push that forward prior to him actually being crazy in the first place. Yeah, that's a really, <laughs> really interesting point that actually segues into some other stuff that I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that you brought it up. It's kind of this question of what happens first? Candidacy is declared and then an apparatus or a political machine appears or a political machine or apparatus exists and then a candidate, it materializes a candidate to act as its front end in the public, right? Yeah, and I, I think <clears throat> that my personal opinion is, is the latter, is that, is that, that some sort of machine exists previously and it's like okay let's figure out what the what's the front line weapon that we can put on the front and it's like oh well this Trump guy. just happens He'll to match do. all of these things let's put him there and simultaneously you know like you look at it from the other side too like Hillary um like I, I feel like if you if you looked at it eight years ago, it wasn't like Hillary was going like I'm gonna run for fucking president. I mean, I guess there was talk of it or whatever, but it wasn't really it wasn't a thing that was in the forefront of people's minds until all of a sudden it's like election year, and everything is like everything points to that or like the two extremes of, of what's going on. And it's basically like two political machines fighting each other and their best weapons were Hillary and Trump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that points to a really interesting idea about kind of the nature of events and whether um, people on a micro scale, like as individuals determine events or whether groups as kind of macros oh, yeah. create group think create realities. Stuff, yeah. Exactly. And create reality is, is a heavy term, but um, you could argue that like what we saw in 2008 with like Sarah Palin, where it was like, this was kind of a proto Trump. Right. So the idea and kind of what I think you're talking about is like, we have like a national party, you know, we have the democratic party, sure. we have the Republican party and they have a set of policies that they generally adhere to. And then the candidates appear and maybe they, um, they speak to kind of their own interpretations of these policies. They put some spin on it, but they're generally more or less in line with it. Um, what happened here that was really interesting was over a long enough timeline from let's say 2000 to present. Um, what I think happened was we saw a lot um, less influence from these existing political um, megastructures, let's say like the donors, the, um, the people at the federal level who are power players, um, the thought leaders, the publications, the newspapers that all determine kind of these different political parties' agendas. Mm -hmm. We saw them kind of lose power and we saw um, I, people like the Tea Party or groups of voters with really controversial ideas gain weight. Like let's talk about... Um, we had this whole kind of um, almost a meme um, in the election about Hillary's emails, right? Where like you, yeah. had, you had, let's say, the director of the FBI come out and say, hey, we're the FBI. We're probably fairly legitimate, most people would say. And we looked into this and, you know, it's, we're not going to prosecute because there's nothing there. Yeah. But people to this day are still like, you know, hey, emails. Like, yeah, they, they, they emails. And so what was interesting is kind of this spin on like a uh, spin. Um, uh, this idea that like truth is not fact. 
or like who really, who really holds the truth, right? Is it a body like the FBI or news, you know, corporations that we previously had said, yeah, you know, what those guys say is probably right. Or is it kind of what we all as groups of people agree on? I, I would say that it's probably more the, uh, the perception of truth, right? Like I, something doesn't actually have to be correct as long as I believe it to be correct. Like if you, if you drilled into someone's brain for long enough that two plus two equals three, um, eventually they would be passionate about that. And if someone else came along and was like, Hey, uh, two plus two equals four. And they're like, no, it it equals three. Like, let's not be stupid. Right. Uh, and then you'd be like, no, but like, mathematics exists and it's four and it's like no i've i've been living for 30 years and i know that it equals three like i know it to be true because it's been true for 30 years it can't just change you know um you even see some of like this outcry uh when things like um this is probably like a lesser scale but you know five how many years ago was it that uh like pluto became not a planet right where the truth is <coughs> Pluto is not a planet um, based on definitions of planet and, sci- and planets and science and stuff like that. And so the scientific community was like, Pluto's not a planet. Uh, and then marginally jokingly, you know, the populace was like, no, but that's not true. Pluto's been a planet since I was a kid. It's definitely a planet. It's got to be a planet. There were even like actual petitions signed to say like Pluto needs to continue being a planet. Um, and again, that's, that's probably like a weaker example of what's happening because it's, you know, how many people actually get super vehemently passionate about, about the fact that Pluto is or isn't a planet. You'd be surprised. Well, I would say that the, the group that does is a much smaller group than the people that get super passionate about who's running the country. Right. So if you could do the same thing, like you drill it into someone's head and in the, in the Pluto case, it, it actually was fact for a long time. Pluto actually was a planet factually based on science, uh, for decades. Uh, and then all of a sudden one day science was like, Hey, we made a mistake. It's actually not. And now new fact replaces old fact. Uh, but people are so set in their ways that they, um, you know, will passionately argue against it, even knowing that the uh, validity of the statement that they're saying is no longer real. And is that phenomenon (laughs) that like, I'm actually very interested in, like I like care about the election in so much as like, it's, you know, the country and it (laughs) determines, you know, a lot of people's livelihoods and my livelihood. And it's very, very important. I don't want to discount that, but in terms of like this phenomenon, like the election is like the biggest and most recent, like, application an example of this phenomenon like speaking to your point about pluto or let's say even like other urban legends like there's a common one i'm sure you've heard of it where it's like your blood is actually blue oh yeah yeah. it doesn't turn red until it's only whenever it hits the air that it turns red and we know that that's not true your blood is red but you'll still talk with people and they'll be like no like several people told me this i know it's true sure it doesn't matter what you say like, yeah, I've and, known this forever. Yeah, and that's a very interesting and also scary idea that truth is kind of only what we as a group of people agree upon at scale. Yeah. And so... You know what's even weirder about it is that I feel like there was there's a change in, uh, you know, like I think about when I was a kid and things like that. Like someone at some point told me that, like your blood is blue and then it turns red when air hits it or whatever, oxygen. 
Um, and I immediately believed it. Uh, and then, you know, years later, someone says that's not the case and you get defensive because it's a thing that you know. Um, but now if someone came up to you, you would immediately be like, oh, iPhone, Google, Wikipedia, let me figure out if this is true. Um, and so I, I actually, I was recently listening to a stand-up comedian and uh, his name is, uh, God, what the fuck is his name? Uh, I'm never going to, oh, Pete Holmes. Uh, and he talked about like the, uh, like the wonder that you had when you didn't know anything before. Uh, and then someone told you something and you were like, oh, that's a thing that I know now. And Sid is definitely eating off of a dirty plate. Uh, <coughs> Sid. Oh, he's not going to listen. He's going with the spirit takes. Yeah, him. yeah exactly. <laughs> Just let him have it. Uh, so anyway, um, his joke that he made was like, you know, like he's talking about electric eels and how they exist. And he's like, at some point someone told you that someone told you there's a creature in the ocean. It's an eel and it's got electricity flowing through it. And you were just like, yeah, that's a thing. And then now you just know that. And, uh, uh, and he was like that you realize like the idea of that, like how you would just buy into something so crazy without like validating it or knowing it for yourself. He was basically, he said, it would be if someone came up to you and was like, hey, do you know uh, seahorses transmit a Wi-Fi signal? <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and you'd be like, really? Oh, I'm checking it out. What's the password? You know, like you wouldn't even, yeah. you wouldn't even like question that that couldn't be a thing. You would just like immediately believe it because you, at the time we didn't have access to the internet. Uh, and then because of that, then you believe that for the rest of your life. And then eventually that gets disproven and you go like, no, that can't, I've known that since I was a child. Whereas now I feel like it would be harder to impregnate that, or at least in that way, you'd be, it'd be harder to say like, you know, this is a thing because everyone would validate it first. Now, the truth is we could make up all sorts of sources. We could talk about like people that believe in flat earth now, you know, where there's, quote unquote sources online that, you know, prove mm-hmm. some guy carried a fucking level on an airplane and was like, see, it's flat. It's like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Uh, this is all we've proved here. Um, but, uh, you know, like now there are sources, but it's still the same thing. It's like, I give you an idea, but now I have to like back it up with stuff to make you believe it. And then once you believe it, now you have quote unquote factual things that can, uh, you know, I guess prove your point and then you go from there. Um, we should probably get the cat down from the stove. You want to help me out there yeah. for a sec? <coughs> so rude. So anyway, uh, not to interrupt the, uh, the conversation there. Maybe we'll, we'll, uh, We'll cut some of that out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if the, any of that made sense, what I was talking about there. Yeah, um, no, it uh, definitely made sense. <laughs> it, um, it's reminiscent of a book that I was just reading. Um, it's called The Illuminatus Trilogy. It's by Robert Anton Wilson, who was kind fun. of a, uh, a prankster back in the 70s. Um, I hate to use this word because it's uh, cheesy, but he was kind of a troll before the internet was a thing. And so yes. what he and his buddies would do is they would send really cryptic, um, messages to newspapers and media outlets on like stationery they would do up themselves with like fake crests and seals 
and they would like say things like, oh, I don't know, like we've been paying very close attention to like the stories you've been running and we do not approve like yeah watch your back and they'd sign it like the the sacred order of like edward the fourth or something like just because they thought that was funny and then like the newspaper would reprint it and people would read it and then they would do it like a couple more times and maybe like graffiti the crest that they had made for this fake order of edward the fourth and then people would look and they'd be like oh did you hear about the secret order of edward the fourth like that's definitely a thing yeah and people would buy it and then like these things get grandfathered in over time. And then like tw- 20 <laughs> years later, someone would be like, Oh yeah, like this is definitely like the secret order of Edward the fourth. And they don't realize it's just a guy in his free time having yeah. fun. So this, that's actually kind of an interesting thing. This makes me think of, uh, anonymous, the, the hacker group, right? Exactly. Um, where, you know, like, I don't know. I, I've read some thing, and who knows, maybe all the shit I'm reading is not true as well. Uh, but I've read some things about it, um, and it it was originally just like actual, just random people. It wasn't like an organized group of of things, you know, like an entity that had to be dealt with. It was just like a random hacker group. All of them sign everything anonymously uh, because they're fucking hackers and they don't want to <laughs> know, you know, like who did what. I mean, um, <coughs> this cough needs to go away. Um, but then eventually it like turned into this like thing where like the news organizations are reporting on like the hacker group anonymous. Well, now it's, now it's like this whole entity in and of itself. They've given it weight now by reporting on it. Yeah. And then there's even like people that would like, like become spokespeople for them. There's like a Facebook page for it. And it's like how much of that is actually true. That's, that's probably like I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm totally wrong. Please don't hack my podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but like um, you know, like maybe it's just some kid that heard about this hacker group anonymous, and he was like, "I'm going to set up a Facebook page, and now we're just going to pretend we are this group because we've given validity to it outside of uh, what it actually is." It, you know, like obviously, there's probably vigilante hackers out there people almost assuredly yeah that are that are trying to do influence change in the world one way or another uh whether it's right or wrong is debatable um but but the the fact that there is like a like a group i i feel like we invent as a public invented that um it didn't actually it, it it became a group because we gave it that right well it's like um there are like two effects here that i think are applicable um one's the streisand effect i love that you have all of these like you got a window you've got an I, effect, uh, you've got like have a uh, lot of uh not late nights where i should be hanging out with friends but i'm by myself and i'm just reading wikipedia like I mean, that basically be what I was I would be doing right now. Except yeah. now I'm talking into a microphone. I feel like I'm just talking to Wikipedia right now. Oh, that's high praise. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, the Streisand effect is uh, named after Barbara Streisand, predictably, and it's basically something like anything that you want to be unobserved that you advertise. Hey, don't pay attention to this. People will pay double the attention to it because you said. Don't By the way, don't to listen to this podcast. There you go. And uh, nailed it. It um it happened because I forget if it was a photo <laughs> of Barbara Streisand. I want to say it was, but it was an unflattering photo of her. Yeah. And this is pre-internet, so you might be able to get this done. And she oh. had requested that publications not reprint it. 
And so then people were like, we want to see people this were like, thing. I got to see this photograph. And so it went around um, probably doubly or triply more so than it would have if she had just let a dead dog lie. Yeah. And then the, uh, the second effect is, I mean, I forget the name for it, but it's basically like you change the property of a subject by observing it. Interesting. And so in the case of, you know, what you were saying about anonymous and let's say the media writing them up, mm-hmm. like they, in a way, were made more legitimate and more serious and more cool, which is maybe what they wanted, because the media legitimized them by talking about them. Yeah. Well, see, my point is that maybe they didn't actually want all of that, right? Like, they didn't want to be legitimized in any way. They were just... In fact, it was just like random people. Like, maybe they worked in groups every once in a while, but it, it wasn't like an organized structure, and then the media made it cool, and then now there's like this separate group of people that are probably not anything. They're just, you know, it's like, you know, I think back when I was all into computers trying to get into like computer hacking in junior high and stuff like that. This cat. Uh, <laughs> when I was trying to get into computer hacking and stuff like that, you know, like you wanted to be cool. You kind of wanted to be... I don't know, known in some way that it was like, oh, whatever spins hacker username took down, I don't know, Yahoo or some something cool, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so now it's like Anonymous does some cool stuff. People acting as Anonymous do some interesting things that affect the world. And then there's probably like some, you know, some like high school kid or junior high kid that's like, Oh well, I can just jump on the bandwagon of that cool and make a Facebook page and then uh post some, you know, memes of people in uh Guy Fox masks and uh now I'm the cool one because I'm a part of anonymous. Yeah, that's interesting too like how groups and ideas can be hijacked um for better or for worse and I've actually read um a bit about uh Oh, this is going to make me look weird, but whatever. Um, like if you wanted to like take down a group of people, like you had a group of people had an idea that was detrimental to you. Sure. You might encourage them to like become more firm in their conviction or more extreme, if you will, to the point where they alienate anyone who like is on the fence about agreeing with them. So let's say that I own a butcher shop and um, I'm protested daily by a group of very, very reasonable vegetarians who are upset because my meat isn't humanely slaughtered. And this is terrible for business. They cause a huge scene. No one wants to come in and get a half pound of steak or whatever. What I would do if I wanted to destroy them from within is I would hire a group of vegans to join them and push them even farther. um, like, like, Like let's say down the path of vegetarianism than they are right now. And I would infiltrate the group and I would, insert like hardliners to like be even more firm in their beliefs to the point where people who are walking by who are like, Oh, Hey, like I'm not a vegetarian, but like, I I think that maybe meat shouldn't be slaughtered in this way, but like, I'm definitely not like a hardcore vegan. Like I'm definitely not going to like join this group now that like these people are a part of it. Sure. And so it's interesting how like groups can rot from the inside whenever their cause gets hijacked by extremists. So this, this is actually a a really interesting take on um, something that we both read uh, recently. The bullshit book. Yeah. The bullshit Um, book (laughs) where, uh, where we talked about um, your, 
the person who is the opposite of you is not your biggest enemy. It's actually the person who's like the nearest neighbor. Right. The person who's like almost exactly like you, but just went one step too far. And you're like, well, I'm vegetarian and I believe in all of these rights for uh, animals and, you know, sustainability for the planet and blah, blah, blah. But that vegan motherfucker is crazy. Like, I don't want to be associated with that versus the other side of it where like, yeah, I'm vegetarian and I have all of these ideals, but if you're not like, I don't actually have that big of a problem with you because you're further away. Like, obviously we wouldn't get along on those levels because our ideals are different. Whereas if they're close, but marginally different, it's worse. Right. It's like the guy who's really, really into craft beer yeah, hates the guy who drinks only <coughs> Natty Light way more than he hates the guy who just doesn't drink beer, period. Yeah, exactly. And actually, the guy who's really into craft beer hates the guy that really enjoys Blue Moon more than anything else, right? Because it's like, that guy, like, okay, like, I can hate the guy that drinks Natty Light, but whatever. It's like, if that's what you do, it's what you do. You're a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and I could just, I could just agree with that, right? Um, but if you're if you've moved past it, you've like you're like I tried like a Hefeweizen, I had a and then I once. stopped, <laughs> and that's where I stopped, and I won't try anything else, and uh, I still drink shit beer, but it's like just marginally better than than uh, the worst beer, um, you know. Then it's 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 somehow more frustrating or more agitating. Yeah, and it's fascinating that like <laughs> groups will oftentimes like dislike one another despite like a common interest to the point where if they like they knowingly will self sabotage. Like there's like let's say the Blue Moon crowd and the craft beer crowd both agree that like all the dollars and like effort that's put into mass manufacturing like light lagers yeah. could be best put elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And let's say hypothetically that if they banded together, they could like amass enough like wait and demand to like accomplish their goal and like get, let's say Budweiser to be like, no more light lagers. We're only going to make better beers, (laughs) but like they won't do it because they dislike each other so much that like they would rather like not work together than accomplish their goal. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. All right. I'm going to get another beer. Uh, Would you like to have a cigarette? Maybe let's do Uh, it. Let's do a cigarette beer and uh, make sure Sid doesn't, um, attack the rest of the kitchen from the top of the kitchen. All right. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, so we're back. Uh, we just had a smoke and uh, refresh the beers, which, to be fair, I'm already like halfway through the one I just started, but that's uh, okay. We had we had some interesting uh, conversation outside even. I'm kind of mad that it wasn't on the thing, but uh, let's see if we can continue. I, I feel like maybe you had a point you wanted to pick up on, or maybe not. Am I wrong? Um. <laughs> 
I don't want to miss this opportunity for a point. <laughs> um, I can I can find a point if I if I have to find a point, I can find one under the couch cushions. I mean, we don't have to. I, let's talk about something we talked about outside. Uh, one of the things that we talked about was the, the fact that something could um, exist if if we as people just basically will it into existence. Um, and my example was, uh, this marathon that ran on Kickstarter. I went into a whole tirade about Kickstarter as well. Uh, by the way, Kickstarter, hire me. Uh, Ben loves Kickstarter. Kickstarter is one of the greatest companies, if not the greatest company in the world. Um, anyway, uh, there was a, there was a campaign on Kickstarter where a group of folks, decided that they wanted to run a marathon, uh, but they didn't actually want to run a marathon. Uh, So they uh, propositioned the world to say that with enough money, we could make a marathon happen uh, and we could create all of the things, bib numbers, trophies, uh, medals, uh, a website with the times uh, that everyone finished at, and even uh, you crowdsource uh, photos of people running said marathon all over the world. Because you think about, you know, uh, you look at marathon photos, it's some random street. Most people don't know where it is. So it could be your neighborhood street. You could just take a picture of yourself running down, grabbing some water off of a table. Um, and then if we did this, if enough people bought into it and we spent enough money, we could create a marathon that didn't exist. Um, so along those lines, we were just talking about things, the way that the public can basically will into existence, uh, physical or even just ideological things. Um, yeah, it was just with, with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, we were talking, <laughs> Spen brought up this really interesting, um, case about the marathon that wasn't, if you will, <laughs> um, the marathon that wasn't, um, I think that might have actually been what it was called. And um, I brought up something interesting that I had read, which is this idea that um, is basically like what's said is the map is not the territory. And so the territory here in this example is like uh, the mountains, the, act- the literal ocean, the water, the plains um, of a landscape. And a map is a visual representation of those things. We've all seen a map. It's, you know, hey, there are mountains here. This ocean is right here. There's a plane over here. Um, and so it's kind of the representation of the territory. And so where things get interesting with the case of this marathon and with this idea in general about um, ideas being accepted that don't have a basis in reality is that sometimes people confuse the map for the territory. So in this marathon example, right, like what we were talking about outside is what is a marathon? Is it actually running 26.2 miles or is it the trappings of a marathon, the representation that you ran a marathon, um, you know, the map in this example. So is it, is it the running of the marathon or is it like, I have a medal that says I ran a marathon. I have a photo of me in shorts with a number on my chest. Like here's the list of times. And I think Spin was saying that in this fake marathon and the marathon that wasn't, they made up a fake list of times. Mm -hmm. So for 99 out of 100 people, if you were like, Oh, I ran a marathon, um, you would show them your medal you'd maybe show them the photo of you and they would say, yep, good enough for me. You ran a marathon. Yeah. You got the sticker on the back of your car. Yeah. Obviously you've done it. Of course you've done it. Like, um, it's interesting that people so readily mistake the trappings of something or the, the representation of something rather than the thing itself. 
So uh, while you were talking, I, I was thinking about um, something that's kind of maybe a little bit more pertinent in my life is uh, I, I like uh, photography. Photography is one of my uh, favorite hobbies. Um, and I get to travel a lot for a lot of different reasons. So I get to like take pictures of, uh, you know, famous places. Uh, I was in Washington, DC. I went to Louisville. I took the, uh, I took the picture of the large, well, it's a, it is a great city. I took a picture of the world's largest baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's interesting about that is, um, you know, in photography, one of the things that you're always trying to do is like convey your experience of that place to um, whoever's looking at, or convey some sort of idea about that place to uh, whoever's looking at the, the photograph. Um, but at what point does that, like if I do a really good job and I convey the experience, at what point uh, have you actually experienced it? Right? Like that you now no longer need to go see the reflecting pool in Washington, D.C., because I've taken a photo that allowed you to have all of the emotional and maybe even slightly physical connections with that location. And now I've the map, as it were, my photograph um, is actually a replacement for the territory um, in so much that you now no longer need the territory. Um, Anyway, it's just yeah, something no, yeah. that that's super, that's a super good example. And, uh, it speaks to kind of where we're going, uh, with some pretty interesting VR applications, right? So it's like, if you were like a super great, uh, VR technician and you built a parallel reality matrix style that mimicked our own. And let's say in five years, I can put on an Oculus Rift and I can go to Louisville to the Slugger Museum and it looks like I'm there and I'm and like, it feels like you're and it there. feels like I'm you're there. And around it looks you. like it. I smells like it somehow. The technology's not there yet, but fingers crossed Smell it will vision. be. Yeah, like, can point. I say? And will people accept it? If like, can I say? Yeah, I went to the Louisville Slugger Museum from my bedroom last night in my Oculus Rift, and people say, yeah, he's been to the Louisville Slugger Museum. Yeah, like, at what point have you experienced something enough to say that I have done that thing? Right, like you know the old saying, like been there, done that, got the T-shirt kind of thing. Like, um at what point could I experience something through like a virtual tour or through uh, in-depth? I mean, you could even say like if I studied something so well, like uh, here's a really great example, I guess. Um, uh, growing up, my uh, stepdad uh, was really into the Grand Canyon. I still is. He's, <laughs> he's obsessed with the, with the Grand Canyon. Uh, and growing up, he used to tell us about it all the time. We learned all the rock layers and we learned all the trails and we learned, uh, the history of, you know, the, uh, you know, different tribes of people that lived in the rock walls and stuff like that. Learned, uh, even the landmarks of like current day, like, you know, the El Tovar hotel and, you know, the North Rim, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Um, can't even remember the name of the the I settled the the campsite on the North Rim and Bright Angel Trail and all of all of these like things and I knew all the names of the buttes and and all of these things I've forgotten a lot of it because I uh, am a terrible person uh, but um, growing up I knew a lot of these things and I remember going I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time 
And it was like I had already been there. Like I knew where everything was. I knew how to get to the Eltovar Hotel. I knew where the things were inside of it. Um, I knew where the trail heads were so I could like walk over to this trail and like go hike if I wanted to. I knew all the names of the rock layers. Everything looked very familiar. And even though it was the first time I had seen it ever, uh, I had experienced it through my stepdad, um, you know, a, a thousand times we had talked about it, you know, and he'd watch, um, documentaries on it all the time and I'd ask questions and I'd learn all of these things. So like had, had we gone for the first time and you knew nothing about me and I met you there or something like that. And you were like, um, you know, I'm looking for this thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's right over here. Blah, blah, blah. Also, by the way, you know, here's some information about rock layers and some history. You might even assume that like, Oh, this guy's like a Grand Canyon expert. He's been He's here. a Grand Canyon enthusiast. Yeah, he's been here several times, like a bunch of times. He's experienced this this uh uh monument like just an inordinate amount of times and uh in reality I'd never done it at all. So it, it again back to that point, like at what point does experience or knowledge outside of actually being there replace being there, especially if we start to get into the VR world. Yeah. And then like, um, <clears throat> even like not to talk about work specifically, but work as an idea, because I think it's an interesting landscape. Um, let me just paint you a picture on this landscape with, oh, with my, with my imagination oh, brush. Make um, me a map. And I feel like this is the territory. I, exactly. <laughs> I feel like very good. Um, <laughs> I feel like um, you you see this a lot. Um, maybe some people would say this about me. I hope not, but maybe they would. Where you're in the workplace and like, depending on how bureaucratic your office is, everyone probably has like a very specific title and a very specific set of things they're supposed to do. I feel like you're talking about a very specific uh, job. It's not my job, but <laughs> sure. Um, basically, the, uh, the idea goes that, you know, in, in a workplace depending on your job title, people probably have a pretty good idea of what you should look and sound like. And uh, it's almost like that episode of Seinfeld. I don't know if you're familiar where George Costanza has this theory that he can get away with doing no work. If he just appears stressed out all the time. And uh, he's like, he's like, he's like at his desk. He's like rubbing his head. He's like being like, Oh, it's not adding up the numbers. He's not actually doing anything all day, but his boss walks by and he's like, Oh, man, George is such a hard worker. Like (laughs) he cares about this company. And so it's interesting that I feel like in the workplace, uh, as compared to other environments, you can more so get away if you have a good map of like what you're supposed to be doing, like what it looks like. Yeah. You can get away with doing nothing if they're like, oh, like he looks and sounds like, um, like a sales executive. So surely he must be a great sales executive and you're like, oh, but the numbers are garbage. And it's like, well, who cares? Like he Doesn't says matter. all the right things. I mean, like, it's, it's probably just tough times or some yeah. other thing. Now you can't get away with it forever. This sort of uh, reputation Ponzi scheme, if you will, but you can get away with it for a surprisingly long amount of time. Yeah. Which is what's interesting to me. It's like um, another example of this outside the workplace is um, there was this football player <sighs> for Notre Dame a couple of years ago and they had a really good team and they made it to the national championship and their like stud player was this linebacker, Manti Teo from Hawaii. And like the media gets involved because it's the national championship and his whole like storyline, cause they make these for these people is um, that he has this sick girlfriend 
and he's playing for his girlfriend. Oh, I remember this. And she's back in Hawaii. Yeah, but she's not a real thing. But she doesn't exist. And yeah. so they eventually find like they find him out. He has this emotional interview where he like claims that he's been hoodwinked by probably some guy pretending to be a girl. But like um we never got the full story, but what was interesting is he Wait, had, wait. He thought she was real? Yeah. That's what he says. Most people think that he was in on it and wanted a cool storyline. Okay. But um people accepted it because he had a map of a girlfriend. He had the trappings of a girlfriend. He like had the text. He had a photo of her. Yeah. He like made up like experiences about them, like hanging out. And like, people were like, that sounds like you have a girlfriend. Therefore I accept that you have a girlfriend. I I love that we've referred to it as a map of a girlfriend. And, uh, I'd take one of those. No, I mean, you could could have a map of a boyfriend. You could have a map of a pastrami sandwich, right? Like, True. If you came over to my house... And let me tell you what, a map of a pastrami sandwich, it might be just as delicious in my head as an actual pastrami sandwich right now. Yeah, like, if you came over to my house and I, like, had scattered crumbs on a plate and uh, had somehow made the room smell of cured meat, and I was like, oh, Spin, so good to see you. I just had a pastrami sandwich. You would be like, for sure you just did. Like, I totally yeah, believe be like, that. that smells like a delicious pastrami. I wish I had shown up sooner. Right. And we so could have had one together. I don't. Do you have any more? I wish. No, I'm all out. Because oh. all I had was crumbs and, and some... And you some, doubled down on the meat because I wasn't here. Yeah, I get it. All I yeah. have is some crumbs and some Also, like, you're potpourri. rude. Save food for your guests. Noted. <laughs> but um, I don't think there's an epidemic of people falsifying the record of their having a pastrami sandwich, but I do think that people... <laughs> Phoning it I in just hope having... that there actually is that someone somewhere is like every time someone comes over, they're like, oh, yeah, I just ate and has like an elaborate ruse of making it look like they just ate like maybe even like cook something and just throws it out. Sounds like, like a good worst, Seinfeld episode, <laughs> like the worst anorexic person in the world. That's terrible. I'm no, sorry. no, the I links mean, that people it. go to, but I, I, I do think that it's probably more common than we believe, where people <coughs> are skating by because they have really good maps. Yeah, yeah, they just make it. That's so interesting. Wow. Yeah, you want to talk about the car? Yeah, let's do the car. Go, you explain the car. Okay, so um, we were using a car. The original example of, of this yeah, idea you can say the boat. is a, a giant wooden ship, you know, kind of old school, like what you might see in Pirates of the Caribbean. And the idea is that over time, your ship kind of wears and tears, and you start replacing it plank by plank. You replace the, uh, what do they call? It's not a steering wheel, but you know what I'm saying? The spinny ship. Oh, the uh, the... Yeah, the steering wheel. Yeah, the ship's I mean, steering it's, wheel. It's, it's, That's what it is. It's, it's Let's not joke yeah. with each other. It's probably got an airbag. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you, you replace the ship panel by panel, you know, plank by plank. And uh, once you replace one plank, you probably say, this is the same ship. I just added a new plank. But over time, like once you've replaced everything in the boat piece by piece, would you say this once, is the once same Once you boat? replace the last piece... You've replaced everything except for one plank, and the day that you replace that last plank, is it still the same boat? It's a really so. I have a I have a counterpoint to this, and this is actually because this is sitting right next to us uh, over here. You can see we have all this sweet sweet audio equipment. Um, 
And I think you knew this about me. At some point, I was part of a recording studio uh, in Orlando, Florida. And um, there was a bunch of gear there. Uh, some of it was mine. Some of it was uh, not mine. Um, but some of this equipment, in fact, um, four pieces of this equipment are from that studio. Uh, three of them are pieces that I've kept with me since I left. Uh, and then one last one is one that I just recently reacquired. Uh, so, uh, I used it several years ago and then when I left, it stayed there. And then, uh, uh, recently just purchased it, uh, from a friend of mine and it's the same piece. This is a piece right here. TL, uh, audio. Um, it's a, uh, 5051, uh, channel strip. Anyway. Uh, is this that same recording studio? Because now I've, I've, I've replaced things. I've taken portions of it away. I've gotten rid of the building. Obviously I'm not there anymore. Technically. Right. Um, now we're recording here. We have new microphones, same microphone stands actually that I used back, back in the day. Uh, and m a lot of uh, similar equipment, like could this be a proxy for the same thing uh, as before? Is now, I think both of us would agree that this is an entirely new thing, but in the same sense that like something isn't new until I replace everything, if I bring back something that's old, is it the old thing? I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, it definitely, it definitely makes sense. Um, and, and the real answer is, I don't know. And people way smarter than me have been, uh, have been puzzling about it for a long time, but it's certainly interesting to, uh, to think about. It's also interesting to think about like kind of, um, how both things can be true simultaneously and like, but also untrue at the same time, kind of like quantum reality, which is a pretty pretentious yeah, thing to like say. it's like Schrodinger's, but... Schrodinger's recording studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or it's like uh, if I go up to Dallas to see a friend and I drive, same road, go up um, 35 or whatever to Dallas, come back, and then a couple months later I go up 35 and I come back, you know, I could say, oh, that was the same trip. But you could also say that's not really the same trip because, like, what was the temperature? Like, oh, it was totally different. What trip. did you What yeah. did you have to drink? Like, what was your exact time? You know, like, um, what, what were you listening to on the radio? Whoa. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it was the same trip in a lot of ways, but it was not the same trip in a lot of other ways. And so both of those things are true. And uh, I'm a very black and white kind of guy, and so I don't like the complexity, and it upsets me, and I just go sit in the bathroom for a long time. <laughs> and read more uh, Wikipedia. I get on Wikipedia and articles. and I, I feel like what you're doing is you're, you're actually making it worse for yourself. You, you get on Wikipedia, you find all of these... Uh, Let's, which ones have we talked about? We've talked about the uh, the the boat that the boat? can be replaced to be the new boat or not new boat. We've talked about uh, maps versus territories. Yep. We've talked about uh, we talked about Occam's razor outside. Yep. Uh, we talked about um, the window. What was the window? The Overton window. Overton window, and we talked about Barbara Streisand principle. Bar Streisand principle. There was another one. I feel like I feel like we're missing um, one. Um, 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 uh, give me one second. It's coming. Oh, it's um.
Yeah, I can't for the life of me remember it, but it was well, in, it was in there. Rest assured <laughs> that it was in there. I would we never can, lie. We to can you. listen back on the on the episode and find it. Uh, but I feel like you do this to yourself. You basically just go down a list of uh, like uh, philosophical ideas that are going to ruin your life. Yeah, I mean, you got to fill the time somehow, right? Like, I, I suppose so. But at some point, you're going to be like, I'm just living in an Overton window and Occam's razor is the only truth. And, you know, boats are always new yeah, um, and, or whatever the, the case may be. Yeah, no, I, I'm hesitant to say this because I'm going to out myself if I haven't already as, you know, a massive pretentious turd. But um, You are a massive pretentious turd. It's kind of I, the water I'm that. swimming in, so yeah. I'm okay being a fish, if you will. But uh, <laughs> uh, Sartre, I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's one of those names you see on paper, uh, but you never, you never say out loud because you want to have friends. But Sartre yeah. um, was talking about how upsetting it can be to like exist yeah like you can't like you didn't opt in you know nobody sent you a newsletter like check yes if you want to exist you just had to yeah and you uh, just do you didn't was, have to yeah you just do he was pretty bummed about this whole thing um <laughs> as existentialists tend to be and he was uh saying you know oh like the only logical outcome is that i should probably kill myself but i i like being alive so i'm not going to and the way he phrased that was you know should i kill myself or should i have a cup of coffee like just get on with it, basically. That's actually a really I I like that phrase. I I kind of want to post that on Facebook, but I can't. I think you'll get a fear, fun reaction. I, I I can't for fear of people like immediately sending cops to my house and being like, "This guy actually might be serious." <laughs> and, it's and eleven for the cops, o'clock at night. Like, He's obviously not going to have a cup of coffee. They're either going to find a messy scene or a delicious pot of Folgers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've. I go all out. I've got a grinder there. I've got a Chemex. Like we get we get real when we do coffee. Oh yeah, right, right next to the Soylent. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Also, by the way, Soylent is the best thing in the world. Soylent is my Kickstarter. Soylent, please contact me. I think you're doing great things. <laughs> also, uh, Soylent, contact me. You are you are marginally second best in my book uh, by a very slim margin. Uh, I love the idea of efficiency at everything. I I want everything to just be the most efficient that it could possibly be. Like like this podcast is an exercise in inefficiency. Like how many decisions can we not make in an hour? Um and how many minds can we not change? Yeah, that's interesting though cuz efficiency is an interesting <laughs> is an interesting parameter to introduce into this idea of like what how much can you strip something down and it's still that thing? Like how efficient could you make it? That's true. And FDA says Soylent is food. So right, like, still food. Like if I say a computer is a way for me to get on the internet and look at Facebook, then therefore like my phone. See, but I feel like, I feel like at that point, uh, Facebook hasn't been distilled to its most efficient, which is like, what is your use for Facebook? I need to, I need to, publicly announce things or I need to be, I need to know the statuses of people that I'm connected to or uh, whatever. And then we actually need to distill that down even further. So then a computer becomes the, the most efficient way to do those things. Like if all I'm using a computer for is Facebook, what's the most efficient version of Facebook? And then a computer is the most efficient version of the thing that connects to those things. Right. And then that ties back to what we were talking about earlier where you're like, okay, like, 
I have the most efficient version of Facebook, the key elements for me, and the most on the most efficient version of a computer for me. Yeah. To me, this is a computer, but then if like enough people say no, it's not. Like it's only a computer if we all agree on it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Like if I have like a little spritzer bottle of like orange flavored whatever. Yeah. That I spray on the tip of my tongue and it tastes like an orange and I say, this is an orange because an orange in its barest form to me just is just, it's orange taste. It's orange flavor. Yeah. It's just rind and oil and whatever. Right. And I'm like, this is an orange. And if all of us agree that that, that is an orange, then, then, that, then now, oddly enough, it can be an orange. My, I feel like my brain just exploded right. a little bit. But then there's always like one guy in the corner who everybody says is crazy. Who's like, no, an orange has to have texture. It has to have appeal. It has to like come, yeah, from, it has, has to, to be, come off a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's actually an interesting thing because like at some point, like we could probably build an orange. Like, right. Yeah. Like grow it in a Petri dish or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like eventually you just like nano bots would just create an orange not off of a tree and so is that an orange like to that guy's definition like no an orange comes from a tree but this is actually the exact same object just didn't come from a tree like at what point does uh it not become the same thing so going back to like soylent right like um i I feel like the f the fda has ruled it as food but like we can don't call me you're not my dream company. <laughs> yeah. Please, please do not call me FDA. I absolutely do not want to work for you. Uh, you couldn't pay me enough. Uh, <laughs> actually, you could you could pay me enough and I would come work for you, but I just don't. I have I, a price. I, I, I definitely have a price. Uh, it's marginally low anyway uh so soylent um if we if we talked about that um like that was the idea right like okay let's distill food down to like the its most basic things and and i remember even like the first time i had it uh, looking at the package the bag it just says like neutral flavor profile and i didn't know what that meant uh and and then i made it and i drank it and it's the most neutral thing I've ever had in my life. Like, I, I feel like there's been a lot of people that have like equated it to like milk after you had bland Cheerios or um, a pancake batter or, you know, just like bread dough with like liquid bread dough and stuff like that. And yeah, it's got like this yeasty flavor to it, but it's none of those things. Like all of in my head, all of those things are more delicious than what it is. And it's not to say that it's not good. It's just not it it isn't good, but it's also not bad. It's it is hands down the most neutral thing I've ever put in my mouth where I'm just like I I have no emotion about this thing that is happening right now. It is entirely sustenance. Um, and then, so so the argument becomes like, okay, well, what is food, right? Food obviously is sustenance, right? Um, but also there's this cultural aspect of food. There's this emotional aspect of food. Like um, people that, you know, like you get up and you have this ritual of like, I have breakfast and then I have lunch and lunch includes friends or coworkers. And then dinner is a thing that I do with my family. And we sit around a table and we have conversation. We have, we pass down recipes all of this time. Like 
is food, is the most efficient version of food, does it include all of those things? Because this doesn't, right? Soylent isn't a recipe that you pass down for generations, at least not outside of databases and forums where they're just like, yeah, just buy tubs of these chemicals and mix them together with some water and call it a day. Um, but it, But it doesn't have that emotional connection of food. So what is... In my opinion, it is the most efficient form of food because for me, food is sustenance, right? And like experience outside of that is is a totally different thing. Like right now we're having beers. Uh, we had food earlier and it was delicious. But for me, that experience was more us going and having dinner and eating together and having conversation over that thing. Like I could have easily just replaced that if it was just me by myself. I for me personally, I could have replaced it with a glass of Soylent and been like, yep, yeah, that, that was, that was dinner. I am still alive. Um, yeah. So like what, where, where's the, uh, I guess the switch on that, uh, on the, on efficiency or what, what, what is the fundamental of food? Right. Where's the threshold? <laughs> where do we, yeah. where do we meet, you know, the, the requirement for X to become food? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Yeah, that's interesting because then that's kind of what we were talking about earlier where like with these sort of fungible, flexible ideas like dinner or a meal or even food, it really becomes whatever we all agree on. And maybe that makes you feel powerless, but like that speaks back to the strength of the individual. We were talking about Donald earlier, but it could really be anyone, the strength of the individual. If you can convince enough people that something is true. If you can convince enough people, Soylent is food and orange is the flavor of orange. You can change the truth in this way. So what's funny about that statement that you just made is earlier today, you found out that I drank Soylent and you were like, I've had such a hard time telling people that this is actually food or this is actually right. a thing or convincing people of this thing. And I'm like, no, yeah. Like I already believe that. Like it's a thing that I'm already doing. Right. Um, and so maybe the two of us are in the wrong or we're just such early adopters, which I feel like at this point we're not, but, um, but maybe we are in the sense of like the people that we associate are laggards in the same, uh, in the same, you know, cycle. Um, they just haven't figured out like how efficient this could be or how much this could, uh, I guess, revolutionize their eating experience. And for us, you know, like for me, Soylent is like what I eat most of the time. Like probably I haven't in the last couple of days, I've been eating real food. Uh, but before I went to Vegas, it was two out of three meals a day was, was Soylent. Um, and it will be, I just got to make another jug, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just making making jugs all day um but it's it's funny that you say that that like it becomes something because enough people buy into it uh and the fact that you were having trouble getting people to buy into it and literally i'm sitting across from you having already bought into it right this uh this um <clears throat> this notion that ideas become truth when they reach a critical mass of believers yeah some sort of tipping point. And it, uh, it becomes kind of, um, trippy kind of, um, mind blowing whenever like it takes on almost a religious aspect. Whenever sure. you're talking about notions of belief or adhering to something, you're like, 
if I can get enough people to believe this thing fervently, then therefore it will be true. Like I can will it into reality. Yeah. Again, back to the marathon. Like if I can get enough people to, in this case, monetarily buy into it, I can convince the rest of the world that a marathon happened. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I think uh, I think we should take one more break. I'm gonna I'm gonna get another beer. You can have another cigarette if you'd like. Um, and then, uh, do you want to come back and do another one? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So we're gonna take a take a short break, and we'll be right back. All right, so we're back uh, with Michael. Um, do you go by Mike or Michael? So that's interesting. Um, I went by Michael my entire life. And then uh, my first week of college, uh, I went on this camping trip as kind of a get-to-know-you exercise. Like, hey, we're at college. Nobody knows anybody. Like, go on a trip with these people. Maybe you'll make some friends. And everybody on that trip started calling me Mike. Never gone by Mike in my entire life. And then... Um, for the rest of college, I went by Mike, so for four years, and then um, I'm back to Michael now. I've been out of college about um, two years, um, and we also work with a mic, so we're Mike and Michael, but every so often, like, someone will throw me a mic. What do you prefer? I prefer Michael, um, but, like, Mike isn't, like, offensive to me. Like, you want to call me Mike, like, I'm not going to fight you over. I mean, I'm not going to call you Mike. I feel like I've called you Michael. You could call uh, a lot of things. Since I've... <laughs> called you fucktard i've called you piece of shit no uh, um no I've, i feel like generally i've i've uh called you michael um mostly because that's your slack it like it says it in your um slack name or whatever um names are really important to me i don't know if you know this yeah um, you, you go by spin i go by spin yeah which is actually something that uh is uh for some reason like disturbing to some people they uh they don't get it they're like no but what's your real name and i'm like does it fucking matter um when you think about it like most names are made up anyway right like what the fuck is a michael right like right, a name is just something we all agree upon exactly <laughs> uh michael is obviously a more normal one because there's uh tens of thousands of Michaels, millions maybe in the world. Billions. Um, billions of Michaels. Just the entire uh, country of China. It's a solid name. named Michael. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's a lot of them. Uh, so it's, it's easy to say that that's like a real name. Someone says like, my name is Spin. And they go like, well, that's, that's not a real name because that's a word. Uh, and it's a word that isn't generally used as a name. Um, but I feel like names are very, um, you know, it's a personal thing. It's the same. Like, you know, like, would you rather go by Mike or Michael? Um, I, I guess I've always called you Michael just because that's, I feel like that's how I was introduced and, uh, that's how I see your name on things. But, but like if one day you were like, no, I fucking prefer Turd uh, Ferguson. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'd be like. Hey, turd. All right. Well, it's going to take me a while to get used to. I'm sorry, Michael. I will try my best to call you turd uh, from now on. If I mess up, please correct me. But uh, 
I will try my best to call you turd. Yeah, it's interesting because as like obviously like this is where my brain is right now. So tying it, tying it all back to what we've been talking about, but like sure. names is just things that we all agree, uh, agree upon, upon that yeah. we just decided. Okay, like this, we're going to call this person this. And so long as the majority of people agree to accept that we're going to call this person this. Which is actually exactly what's happening with me, right? Right. Uh, because it's not my real name. Uh, it's, what? It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, um, it's not my real name, and it's also uh, not an actual real name in this sense of, like, like Michael is a real name, right? Um but the all all of the people that know us both call me that. Uh, in fact, the majority of people in my life, my mom writes me letters addressed to Spin, uh, which is uh, I always think is kind of a funny thing uh, that happens. That you know, like my mother, the one that gave me an actual name, um, writes me letters addressed to this other name that I've gone by for uh, decades now. Um, You're dating yourself. I know. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm just so old over here. Decades it's, and it, decades and decades. Just so many, like all of the decades. Uh, there were there were several decades, and it was all of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny, because in the, in the, uh, the podcast with Alan, uh, we, it comes up a couple of times, and I'm, and I'm way uh, younger than him, like significant decades younger than him. What? <laughs> yeah significant amounts of years uh but anyway uh yeah so it's it, it, it's exactly like what you said like we've all collectively agreed that that is my name uh and that's why i go by that and it's funny for me it's funny and also frustrating for me when i meet uh new people and i tell them my name I'm like hey i'm spin you know great to meet you blah 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 uh and then they don't accept it Right away, because it's it's outside of their. <laughs> do they world. say that I don't accept? That. I I do not accept your name. Uh, they don't say it in so many words, but they effectively say that, right? They're like, no, but no, but what's your real name? And I'm like, immediately, in my head, I actually get really defensive. I I go like, well, fuck you, I don't want to know you either, right? Like, because to me, I, I hope that's how the exchange goes. Hi, I'm Spin. I don't accept that. Well, fuck you. <laughs> it. It hasn't not gone that way. In fact, it, it actually has gone that way uh, before where someone was like, uh, I was drunk enough and wily enough one night where I was like, hey, I'm Spin, nice to meet you. And they were like, that's not your real name. And I was like, well, fuck you too. And then just like walked away. It's uh, a power move. Power move, yeah. I was wearing a power tie. Ooh, can we tie, wasn't can we tie in tie. power moves? Yeah. I don't want to divert yeah, no, away. No, 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 go, go, go. I don't want to divert away from names no. because names are interesting. Um, but I, I have this theory about this vague concept, like what is a power move? Like maybe you've heard that said. And, uh, the classic example I give is, um, taking something that's pretty humiliating and flipping it. And so the idea the challenge is, can you think of a situation where if you peed your pants, you could use it in a weird way to assert your dominance? Oh, like, like <laughs> literally like the Billy Madison move or, exactly. or, was it Billy Madison? I think so. Like, let's say you were the it's CEO. It's like, you ain't cool unless you pee your pants. Exactly. Or whatever. Exactly. So can... Like, let's say you're the CEO of a company and you're presenting to the board. And, like, you're on some slide, some PowerPoint, whatever, and you start peeing your pants. You don't announce that you're peeing your pants, but everyone can see because a stain starts spreading on your pants. Sure. And eventually someone is like, hey, 
spin, you know, you're, 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 peeing, you're peeing yourself. Right now. You need to take a break. And you say something like, I don't know what's going on down there, but my eyes are up here and my attention's right here pointing at the slideshow. Like, let's continue. Dang. Like, that's... could you get away with that? I don't know if that one specifically, but uh, so I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. Uh, I love stand-up comedy. I feel like truth exists in jokes, right? I, I, that's not my own quote. I'm pretty sure that came from a book or something. Um, it sounds good. It's good. Truth is truth exists in jokes. If it doesn't exist, I'm taking it. Uh, and uh, you heard that here on this podcast. It still doesn't have a name. Kickstarter, take note. Kickstarter, take note. Uh, truth exists in jokes. Hire me, please. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, I was watching um, T.J. Miller just released one. I love T.J. Miller. Uh, it, so he just released one on HBO called... Uh, uh, fucking, I don't know what I'm TJ Miller. These I don't know. It's jokes. like, I'm, yeah, I'm TJ Miller and I do jokes and, uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, it's a really good comedy special, but he walks out on stage and he already has like water stains on his suit. Uh, and it, it looks kind of weird. It's like maybe like spilled a glass of water, but you don't really understand. And then like maybe a minute into it, he goes to like drink water and he like, squeezes the bottle and it just shoots out on him. Um, and so now he's like soaked. Um, and for the rest of the, the entire show, he's constantly spilling water on himself. Like on purpose. And it's clear that it's intentional. Yeah. But originally it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way. Originally it's like, okay, maybe his suits just got a weird pattern on it or, uh, you know, like they didn't real, like he spilled something and he just went out anyway. And then the first time he does it, he even has like the expression of like, Oh fuck. Like, how did I do this on my special or something? I mean, you know, context as a whole, like when you watch the whole thing, it's like, obviously this was uh, very much staged, but the, the first time you watch it, you're like, eh, I don't know if it could go either way. It could have been like purposeful or, uh, he might have actually just nervously just squirted water on himself, and now he's covered in water. But uh, but he does the whole show just like soaking wet, like he's constantly just drenched in water. Uh, and it's exactly that. It's the power move of like the most embarrassing thing you could do: spill water on yourself in front of thousands of people on stage, and then just own that shit. Yeah, um, I don't think I could get away with the with the urination one, but a power move that I read about with our good friend Donald was uh, he went out to dinner with uh, all of his like campaign staff. He takes him out to this restaurant. Chris Christie is there, former governor of New Jersey. Oh, I'm have, sorry, have you heard I was about this? A different Donald. Uh, no, I yeah, Trump. I'm talking about Trump. Yeah, I like to call him Donald D, D Trump, as though we're on a first name basis. And I mean, um, why aren't we not? Right. Exactly. Like, seriously. Um, Donald, please call me. I have a lot of advice I could give you. Also, um, call us both. Like, just get on the other. I have a third microphone. Let's just all get on the microphone together. Get in here, Donald. Yeah. But um, it's going to be good. He, uh, he goes out to dinner and he takes him out to some nice restaurant. And this, we, fa- we got this news because Chris Christie reported it because it was so bizarre. And he says to the table, like, everything on the menu is great. Order whatever you would like. Chris you and I will be having the meatloaf. 
damn. And Chris Christie's like, okay, yeah. And like, let's Donald Trump order for him. And like, if Chris Christie had like pushed back maybe and been like, I don't want the meatloaf, then maybe Donald looks weird. But because Chris let him, it's like, okay, like it then becomes a power move. Like you ordered for me, like you decided my dinner. I want to do that so bad. That would be like so awesome to do. Like just be like, take a few friends out to dinner and be like, everything on the menu is great. Michael, you and I are having the meatloaf. Right. And it's the fact that you're having it as well. Yeah. Like it becomes like oddly intimate in some way. Like I want to eat, eat, like eat the same thing as you. Like we're having this together. Yeah. Like we're exactly. having a separate like, thing from like everyone. I've already chosen the best thing on the menu and I want you to also experience it. And from your head, it's like, well, I can't not get it. You're getting it as well. Right. Like obviously it's got to be good. Right, like where I think it might have backfired is maybe in Donald's head. He was like, I'm going to show Chris like that he's like on a different plane than the rest of these people. Like only he and I are going to have the meatloaf and everyone else is going to be like, oh man, I wish I could have the meatloaf, but it didn't end up that way. The way it ended up coming off was this weird, like almost pseudo romantic gesture in my head. Like we're having the meatloaf together. Wow. I actually would have taken it as, uh... so I, I feel like, as the person that's getting ordered for, I'd be like, wow, I'm, I'm in such high graces with this person that they've chosen to bring me into like their ritual, which may be like, uh, you know, like there are restaurants that I go to that I always have the same thing. And that if like I brought someone to, and I really wanted to like show them the best of everything, like literally I care about nothing else. No one else at the table, like order whatever the fuck you want. All of it's good. It doesn't matter. We're at a great restaurant, but you are having <laughs> the best thing with me. Like we're having this thing. I'm going to spare you the expense of having to go through all the, you know, good, but marginally mediocre stuff that everyone else is going to have to look, look for you and I are having this thing. So like if, if I were the one that was being ordered for, I'd be like, damn, awesome. I didn't realize it was in such hype graces or whatever but then from everyone else's perspective i could see this as being like uh that guy just made that other guy his bitch yeah yeah no like not romantically but like you don't get a say you're doing this all of you are free to decide whatever you want but you're doing this and you're just gonna accept that shit so like it's a weird because either side could be either side is wrong schrodinger's dinner order uh yeah no like (coughs) i love big ideas (coughs) on small stages yeah like both of these things are true and they are both not true at the same time via the example of donald trump ordering chris christie meatloaf yeah Exactly. So that's really amazing though. I want that to be, I'm going to do that one of these days. We're all, I'm, we're going to go to dinner with like other people and I'm going to pull that on you. I'm Please gonna, do. I'm going to, I'm going to be do. like, we're just going to go to like Bob's steakhouse or something. And I'll be like, everything's great. Order whatever the fuck you want. Uh, Michael, you're having the bone in filet with me. I won't protest. <laughs> I mean, it would be weirder if I was like, you're having the meatloaf at a steak place. 
I feel like meatloaf was also like a weird. Yeah, the fact that it's meatloaf, like if he had been like we're having the filet mignon or something that's like traditionally accepted as like the best thing, <laughs> people would be yeah. like, oh, of course, like he wants him to have the best thing. But because it's yeah. meatloaf and it has this like school cafeteria kind of your mom makes it maybe association. Yeah, it's like got ketchup on top. Yeah, you're like, this is bizarre, like because this is almost assuredly not like the nicest thing on the menu. See, but this goes back to the idea of like, is this guy a genius or is he just that dumb? Because that's a genius move. Right. See, and that's, that's the thing is like, again, it's like both of these things can be true and untrue at the same time, because some would say like competency is a flat circle. Like you go far enough along to where like you're so incompetent, you break through the other side to the top of the competency circle and you look like a genius. You do something so dumb and unexpected that it looks like a stroke of like pure mastery. Luck. Yeah, pure genius. I forgot where we were at, uh, but uh, Donald Trump, just come on the podcast and explain the situation. Order me some meatloaf. Uh, tell us both what's going on. Uh, we'll both be here. There's an extra. I mean, your your Secret Service people can hang out with a cat. So he's a great cat. It's a great cat. He's. Uh, I mean, he's going to dirty up your suit a little bit with, you know, cat hair, but they wear suits, right? Like the Secret Service? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they definitely wear suits. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else? What else we got? Um, I don't know. It's, um, it's tangentially related. I just thought of another map example, which you're probably like, oh. Oh, no, no. I love maps. Let's do it. I actually, so, so uh, speaking of maps, by the way. Uh, without talking too much about what, what we do, I was, I was actually, uh, drawing maps the other day, uh, during work, <laughs> no, for work. Oh, actually. For yeah, work. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh no, I understand now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like very, I, I was uh, actually doing that. And, uh, while I was doing it, I was like, I'm like a goddamn cartographer over here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so the fact that you keep bringing up maps, I'm just like motherfucking cartographer. Like let's talk maps all day. No, there you um, go. I'm not actually, but I'm not a cartographer. You're I do, a bit of a, a cartographer. I mean, marginally. I, it's it's. Uh, I draw lines on Google Maps every once in a while, and then uh, turn those into data points. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. I'm not a cartographer, but I get to play with maps every once in a while. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. The uh, the example I was thinking of, and you're gonna roll your eyes because this is silly, is um <clears throat> this artist. Uh, I'm sorry, but there's no way to like make roll eyes happen on a microphone yet. <laughs> um. But uh, this artist Duchamp, he was like basically a giant troll. His whole idea was that art is mostly high art is mostly BS. And that people will buy anything. Uh, what he did most notably was he signed a urinal and sold it for oh, thousands of dollars. No, no, I. He didn't s just sign a urinal. He just put a urinal on display. I see. I I know what you're talking. And then about, I think though. he also canned his own feces and sold those. And people oh, were like, but "That's people, like, well, I don't people know." People were like, no. "This is great." But um, the one that that speaks to me as an example of this map territory phenomenon is he had a, a painting of a pipe. And beneath the pipe in the painting, he wrote in French, this is not a pipe. This is not a pipe. Yeah. The point being, uh, it's a drawing of a pipe. It's like, 
un pipe yeah, or something un pipe like or however you say it. Yeah. yeah and uh it's like no it's like the greatest thing in the world yeah. i love it i actually love that because people get mad they see it and they're like that is a pipe like you drew a pipe and his whole point it's so simple that's where the eye roll comes in is no it's a drawing of a pipe yeah it's a representation of a pipe. It's not the pipe itself. Yeah, I feel like uh, so I took an art class or something recently, and uh, they talked about that. It's actually one of my favorite things. I almost bought a T-shirt of that that said, like, Nisse and Pipe. You uh, should, um, for your next Sazerac tour, Sven goes on Sazerac tours. He can elaborate if he wants. But you oh, should, yeah, I do you go should, on Sazerac You tours. should uh, have a cat, and then beneath it, in French, this is not a cat. Nisse and Shah. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it's. it's I, I just, might be saying. By the way, I'm saying like French words, uh, probably totally incorrectly. So I apologize to the entire country of France. Uh, please continue to welcome U.S. citizens with open arms. <laughs> please, uh, France. Please, France. Uh, there's not much that the U.S. has ever begged you for, but on behalf of all of uh, the U.S., please still allow us to come to your country. Um, it's troubled times right now. And uh, we're in, we're in a little <laughs> bit of dire straits. Stressful, uh, uh, stressful times. So I'm trying right now. I'm saying all of this from memory and from the memory of a person uh, who has had at least five Montucky cold snacks, uh, which by the way, um, they're not a sponsor. They are the unofficial beer of Mount Montana. Montucky cold snacks. Our R2 Kickstarter, our <laughs> uh, R2, R2 beer, what Kickstarter is to companies I want to work for. That's, uh, you know, uh, bringing back my uh, ACE, SAT, um, you know, test forte here. Montucky Cold Snacks, R2 beer, what Kickstarter is to companies I want to work for. Yeah, now I'm like, uh, I've, I've sketched myself out, which is this is the point normally if I weren't with company recording a podcast where I'd go hide in the bathroom where I'm like seeing maps everywhere where it's like you have <laughs> you have your SAT score, right? Yeah. You like have done this test. Yeah. And we accept that as like a proxy for intelligence, like specifically with college admissions. And it's like, oh, you have a good map of intelligence. Like you have all the trappings of intelligence via this test score, but we don't actually know. Oh like my you're God. good at taking a test, but in reality, are you intelligent? Are you creative? Are you like a thoughtful person? Oh, that's terrible. Are you, did you just call me stupid? No, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think again, both of those things can be true. You can have a great SAT score and also still be very intelligent and creative and that's thoughtful. Fair. That is fair. Um, it just, yeah. Once I start thinking about it too much, I realize that society is like based kind of on a lot of assumptions, maps, if you will, of like this, looks like a dog it barks like a dog therefore it is a dog but is a dog like just like fur and like so i feel like sid's kind of a dog sometimes yeah or like um if you have a chair right like it's made of wood it has four legs but like it was once a tree like that's where it came from is the tree like a proto chair could we describe it that way like is a tree a post like is a chair a post tree <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah yeah it's weird to think about and i mean it's arbitrary like you talk to someone about this and again it goes back to the bullshit book we just wrote and they're like you're kind of bullshitting me like this is stupid but uh i like to think about it <laughs> so 
I'm not gonna lie. I'm thinking really hard about this. Uh, this is not a cat shirt for the uh, the Sazerac tour. Yeah, yeah, Sazerac tour. Uh, which, by the way, anyone that uh, hopefully this comes out well before that. Uh, if anyone wants to, October 1st, Austin, Texas, come out to uh, the Sazerac Hunt. Uh, it's it, This will be the fourth annual, I believe. Um, fourth annual, uh, we go around the city, we go to eight bars, we have a Sazerac at each one. Sazerac being my favorite drink, but also objectively the greatest drink that's ever been created. Uh, purely is objectively to, uh, is to cocktails what kickstarter is to companies exactly sazerac is to cocktails what kickstarters is to uh companies i want to work for uh so um basically sazerac is to drinks i want to drink to as uh kickstarter is to companies i want to work for like i want to do it all the time Number one, yeah, by far, by by a strong. So wait, margin. so how do you feel about like Indiegogo then? Oh fuck, Indiegogo. Okay, you're, no, you're I hate really that not a fan. No, no, I I honestly actually this isn't even like a joke. Like I fucking hate Indiegogo. I think it is. Uh, and you know what's terrible about it is that this some is of my favorite projects uh, have been funded on Indiegogo. <laughs> And I fucking hate them. This is fascinating that like you have strong feelings about the crowdfunding space. I, well, just really just those two. I don't know any other ones. I don't know either. I was kind of talking out of my ass. Yeah, no, but of those two. Yeah, definitely. Kickstarter a hundred percent of the time. Uh, I am obsessed with, uh, if you go on your profile on Kickstarter, they have a little pie chart of like all the areas you've, uh, funded projects in. And like it is my like life goal to fill up every single pie. Uh, I'm pretty close. I th- I feel like I'm like a, I don't know. I've got like three or four pie spaces to fill. Yeah. So here's the question then: like in an ideal world, you're on Kickstarter and you're only funding ideas or products that you're really passionate about. That you're like this oh, is that's super the only cool. Thing. Yeah, that's all but I do. Yeah. What if you had one left, one one slot in your pie chart, and you like there's nothing that you really feel strongly about? Would you just fund something just to just to fill out the pie chart? Oh, that's a good question. Like it's the only one that I've left. Like, right. It's like bed, oh, like, I, I just need it's the last of my money. I just need something in like the health and fitness space like so i feel like i wouldn't and it's the reason why i haven't filled up my pie chart is because the the ones that are left uh i've got like uh theater um and i've got like i think i still have like food and beverage um food and beverage is a really hard one because it's it's really hard to get like a it's hard to support something that won't affect your life personally so you kind of have, you know, I'd have to find like a project that's in Austin uh, that I could, I don't know, be a part of. Uh, that's not entirely true. If something was like really awesome, like if it was like this really great, it's going to be the world's best cocktail bar, I would fund it and then take a trip there to go see it, I feel like. But a lot of the food and food and uh, whatever ones are like, we made salsa and it's like, I don't give a shit about your salsa company. Right. Because, <laughs> because it's not here, right? Like I could get a bottle of salsa shipped to me or something for $12 or, or whatever it is. But I, I don't care enough about your salsa to like donate $12 to have it shipped to me because I've never had it before. I have no context for why that matters. Uh, whereas if it was like, we're going to open up like 
a salsa tasting center with like science and uh, I don't know, like cards that you can like, have you ever been to the wine room? Like tasting notes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love tasting notes. It's the best thing. Can we talk about cocktails for a second? Yes, we definitely can. um, Knowing you, you know, you're a man of fine taste (laughs) and I know you're particularly passionate about cocktails. But what's interesting is I wouldn't say you're a cocktail snob. Because uh-huh. whenever whenever we I know high praise, but whenever we we say someone is a whatever snob, most of the time I think that means they assume that there exists a quality threshold that's much higher than what's ordinarily assumed. Like let's sure. say, like, like like let's take a coffee snob. They're like, oh, like the lay person is drinking such garbage. Like they don't know how good coffee can be. Sure. And I think that you would probably say most people like don't know what a really really good cocktail is like. But Definitely. via conversations that we've had outside of this podcast, what's interesting about your love of cocktails is you don't assume that super high quality threshold. You're like, a cocktail can only really get so good. Like if you were to tell me like this cocktail was made with this like special ingredient that was aged in this specific way, like you might not buy it. Like you would be like, I don't really think that's making that much of a tangible difference. Yeah. So it's actually an interesting thing because it happens a lot. Like I've been to a lot of places and in fact, I've had, uh, I've gone to places where they're like, Oh, we have a barrel aged Sazerac. And I'm like, right. That sounds interesting. And what, (laughs) what, what went into this? And they're like, well, we made a Sazerac, you know, like you make a Sazerac. We put it in a barrel. And then we threw it in an oak barrel for, um, two or three weeks. Uh, and then now we're pouring it into a glass for you. And um, by the way, I, I think that uh, that these quote unquote uh, aged cocktails are like one of the most bullshit things in the world. Like they're not aged like wine or beer is aged where we we throw things in uh, oak barrels for like months or years and they soak out all this flavor. Out right. Of like a wood. bourbon. Yeah. It's um uh, they throw it in there for like a week and it's like, it's got like a little bit of a woody taste to it, but it, it basically tastes like they just dropped a couple of number two pencils in your cocktail. I'm going to borrow <laughs> that as a descriptor. This tastes <laughs> like someone dropped some number two pencils in here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a bullshit way to like get people to pay $15 for a, you know, $12 drink, something like that. Charge a little extra. And also takes no effort because we pre-batched everything. We pre-batched everything a week ago. Uh, and so now you order a Sazerac and all I have to do is go turn on the spigot and pour it under there and throw some ice in it or something and chill it up. And whatever. Uh, it was a stupid analogy because the Sazerac doesn't get served on ice. Or a good one doesn't. Uh, but um, you'd still have to chill it. <laughs> anyway... Um, my point is, yeah, exactly that. Like I, um, I, I do believe that like, uh, there is a threshold for really great, uh, cocktails that a lot of people haven't gotten to have. Um, I feel the same way with most things like really good coffee, really good beer, really good, uh, uh, wine and things like that. Like people that say like, Oh, I don't like beer. I don't believe them outright because it's probably you just had like a lot of shit beer in your life. Same thing. Like, Oh, I don't like whiskey cocktails. Like I don't want to have a whiskey cocktail. Well, you've probably never had like a really good old fashioned or a really good Sazerac or a really good, uh, Manhattan or, you know, anything, any of the like classics that come with 
great whiskey in them that are mixed well, you'd probably enjoy. Uh, but at the same time, I think there is there's a point where like you, at some point you you come up like if we talked about a if we talked about like a Sazerac specifically, uh, it's got a very specific recipe. It includes very specific ingredients, and we can modify those ingredients uh, to a point. You know, like marginally, we can change the ratios. But at some point, we're going to come up with effectively the best version of those ratios, uh, and changing it anymore, uh, you know, like adding something else or removing some other thing, we're effectively just making a new drink. So at some point, that that drink is perfective. It's math, right? It's not like, a, uh, especially in cocktails, it's not like a like a steak. Like a steak can be cooked to a perfect temperature. And we could get into this argument, too, that this is actually the same thing, right? But, like, a steak is actually why sous vide uh, machines exist, right? Like, we set water to a temperature, vacuum seal a steak, cook it to that temperature, uh, and that's the perfect temperature for a steak, and it's going to be the most delicious steak you've ever had. Well, a cocktail, uh, none of the parts in a cocktail, at least once they're created, um, change. Right, so like, whiskey's the same. You're using the same whiskey every time. You're using the same bitters. You're using the same uh, herbicine or absinthe. Uh, you're using sugar uh, water, you know, simple syrup or or sugar cube or something like that. Um, and the uh, ratios don't change. So if I make it the same every time, there's not really any difference between a $30 Sazerac and a $15 Sazerac because the ingredients are cost $4 or something like that. You know, like it's just a place charging you more. Yeah. So that's the example of cocktails, but I think, um, this idea kind of forcing a craft product has occurred like in a lot of places where it really shouldn't like, well, it happens everywhere. It's the same as, you know, you take something like, uh, Oh, I, I actually, I th- I think I I might have gone. Explain what you were saying. Well, just I think like I might have gone down a different path. Like in my head. when we talk about like a craft cocktail, like I believe that there's probably a higher threshold of quality that we can hit than like what the layperson is consuming. Sure. I don't think it's probably as high as like people who are really into that scene think it is. And likewise with coffee. But like, let's say if I came at you and I was like, "Spin, you got to try my craft like corn on the cob." Like, this is premium <laughs> corn on the cob. This is the good stuff. Like, all the other corn you've been eating in your life is garbage. Like, craft corn on like the cob. Like, even if my corn on the cob, via whatever metric you want to use to assess the quality of corn on the cob, even if it were, like, let's say 30% better, like, it's still corn on the cob. You would, exactly. You would be like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to seek out your craft corn on the cob. Yeah, and I think I think that threshold actually exists even in cocktails or beer and stuff like that. Is like, you know, like at what point is... So, beer is a great, uh, great point. Like, we're drinking... Uh, let's talk about it again. Or, uh, you know what? Fuck it. They're the unofficial sponsor is the unofficial beer of Montana. Uh, Montucky Cold Snacks. Montucky Cold Snacks. Uh, the unofficial beer of Montana. Uh, love them. Uh, it's a cheap beer. I, I just bought um, three six packs of this for eighteen dollars, uh, which is retardedly cheap. Um, or 
mentally handicapped lead sheep <laughs> or whatever you want to say uh politically correct wise um it's it's a it's not an expensive beer but it's a delicious beer um and at the same time you know if we um look at across the room over here i've got this huge bottle of jester king beer i've got uh those are dogfish head 120 minute ipas uh dogfish head the unofficial sponsor of ipas uh, and um they uh they're phenomenal beers but it's like comparatively like you know people probably wouldn't refer to montucky cold snacks as a craft beer whereas they would refer to that uh, the dogfish 120s as a, as a craft beer right uh, but in my head i'm enjoying this just as much as i would the other right like i think there's a time and a place probably for either one um but also not saying that this is a bad beer just because it's cheaper. And the same could be said for cocktails. Like, yeah, I went to I went to a bar and I had a great Sazerac, but you know, having whiskey neat at a dive bar um, might just be the right drink at the right time or something. Right. Everything in context, and maybe you'll disagree <laughs> with me on this, but like tying it back to alcohol, like whenever someone tells me that something is a premium vodka, I kind of think they're talking out of their behind, like. Vodka for me has like a very low quality threshold. Like, okay, it's a vodka. I don't think like it, it's not going to have tasting notes for me. Maybe you, maybe you sure, would disagree. I'd actually disagree, but, uh, but I, <clears throat> but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And so like with something like a whiskey or even a gin, like I would be like, okay, like maybe you did something different here. Or like you were really dedicated to your process, you know, blah, 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 blah. But when like gray goose, which is a poor example because everyone knows that they're just like, Kirkland brand vodka yeah. and a nice bottle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, okay, like this is a gimmick. Like there's not actually like, this isn't going to be 30 or 40% better than like, what's the, what's the pop off? Yeah. The, the pop- plastic bottle, like Terrible. $12 vodka. Yeah. Which by the way, uh, Grey Goose might as well be pop off. We're just going to make a lot of really blanket statements about a lot of big companies. Kickstarter hire me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And actually, vodka is a, a, an interesting choice because of how subtle the differences can be between each of them. I think there's, um, in the defense of vodka, there's there's a level of like smoothness to good vodkas that you don't get out of a pop-off, where pop-off literally tastes like you're drinking rubbing alcohol. Some people buy it for that reason. You know, you know, you got to have a little bite. In Some people your... want to be hurt. <laughs> it's just fuck it. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, I think, I think there's, there's, uh, you know, generally speaking, but like it, it, my favorite vodka kettle one, I have a bottle over there. Uh, we're just going to name all our sponsors tonight. Uh, um, kettle one, uh, delicious. Uh, also different. Um, Actually, actually, I don't know what Grey Goose is made with, but Kettle One's a wheat vodka, easier to drink. It's actually, um, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, Tito's uh, vodka is actually a whiskey that has just been distilled uh, long enough to be a vodka. That explains a lot. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, Tito's is not supporting this podcast. And they're a local brand. Fair enough. 
Anyway, we're, I, I feel like we're rambling on about stuff. Uh, I'm at the point where I need to pee like no one's business. Go for it. Um, do you want me to go and come back? Um, I don't have too much if we want to call it here. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like we've we've hit a threshold here. We can we could probably call it. We've maybe maybe own. we can do another we could do another episode another yeah, time. We've hit our own quality threshold. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming out, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, been great. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, thank you, Montaki Cold Snack, the unofficial beer of Montana, and we're just gonna call us the unofficial podcast of Montaki Cold Snack. Uh, and, um, Kickstarter, um, if you're listening, I want a job as uh, so does Michael. I mean, he wants to come along for the ride. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Thanks again for listening. Uh, that was the podcast and we'll see you next time. Later. <laughs>